Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome to episode 184 of the Modern Bar Cart podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining us for another interview episode where we track down the best and brightest minds in the spirits and cocktail world so that we can share their secrets with you. This time around, I chat with bourbon writer Brent Joseph of Bourbon and Banter about a recent article series he's written called Is Bourbon Broken? Obviously, there's an implication here that something is rotten in the state of Kentucky, in all states for that matter, but before we start getting all controversial up in here, let's give you the chance to make yourself a drink. This episode's featured cocktail doesn't have anything to do with bourbon. In fact, it's not even a cocktail, but rather a traditional palate cleanser and tequila accompaniment called sangrita. Not sangria, sangrita. It means little blood, and it's something that Brent and I delve into during the lightning round. Now, this is the sort of thing where everybody has their own recipe, at least commercially and here in the U.S., but according to Jeffrey Morgenthaler, the authentic recipe originates in Jalisco and includes sour oranges, pomegranate juice, hot sauce, and chile powder. Unfortunately, sour oranges are kind of hard to source, so Morgenthaler reverse-engineered a recipe that he thinks is pretty close to the genuine article. To make it, you'll need one ounce of orange juice, fresh squeezed, three quarters to an ounce of lime juice, also fresh squeezed, a half ounce of real pomegranate grenadine. Check out the True Grenadine Syrup by Pratt Standard on our e-commerce store for an excellent high quality option, and three dashes of hot sauce or a quarter teaspoon of pasilla chili powder. Note that this is for a single two to three ounce serving, so scale the recipe as needed, combine the ingredients, chill them down, and serve alongside your happy hour tequila shooter. Some sangrita recipes call for some muddled jalapenos or even habaneros. Some non-traditional formulations call for tomato juice, pushing it kind of in that clamato direction. And some of the more Instagram-driven expressions are served in hollowed out cucumbers, just to give you a few options to play around with at home. So now that you've got a month to practice your sangrita game before Cinco de Mayo, let's turn our attention back to bourbon and back to the interview. In this barrel-aged deep dive with spirits writer Brent Joseph, some of the topics we discuss include how Brent came to love bourbon and used his passion to propel himself into a senior contributor role at Bourbon and Banter, the recent retail experiences that led him to pose the titular question of his four-part article series, Is Bourbon Broken? The economic and market forces that have led to massive demand for particular brands and bottles, and the subsequent perverse incentive to flip them for outrageous prices on the secondary market. The role that social media has played in the fetishization of certain bottles and purchasing habits how to be a smarter bourbon shopper and a better citizen of the bourbon community, and much, much more. A few disclaimers before we jump in. Nothing that Brent or I say in this interview is right or wrong. We're very clear about that. We are spirits enthusiasts, not polemicists. 
But we do point out one or more very well-defined trends in the bourbon world and pick apart the forces that might be contributing to them. So if you've ever flipped a bottle of bourbon for more than it's worth or dropped everything and sped to the liquor store when they posted on social media about Blanton's being back in stock, we're not asking or expecting you to change a thing. You do you. But if, like me and Brent, you're a little alarmed at some of the trends you're seeing in the bourbon market, hopefully... By the end of this episode, you'll understand what you can do to make sure that at the very least, you're not contributing to the problem. This is a conversation about value on many levels and about how assumptions we make and stories we tell ourselves can have a massive impact on America's spirit and the entire industry that exists to make sure our glasses are filled with spirits that make us happy. With that, please enjoy this conversation with bourbon writer Brent Joseph. Brent, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So let's just start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, give us a rundown of who you are and what you do. Uh, my name is Brent Joseph. Uh, I live in Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, I like bourbon a lot. Uh, that led me to uh, become a senior contributor uh, for bourbonandbanter.com, which is basically bourbonbanter.com, even though we call it bourbon and banter. I've been doing that for about five years or so now, five and a half years, I think. I've been writing for them. It just kind of came to me, kind of happenstance. Uh, I'm a big bourbon fan. Uh, I've got a degree in journalism through the University of Kansas. Uh, it's not that I have any published writing or works before. Otherwise, uh, I saw a, uh, a Twitter request online for this blog that I followed that was Bourbon and Banner. It said, hey, we're looking for new contributors and writers. And I uh, gave it a whirl and submitted a sample piece and had to do another one. And, you know, years later, here we are. So background on me, uh, I used to be in the restaurant industry, uh, owned my own restaurant for about 14, 15 years. Uh, got to the point where I just was making just enough money to pay everybody else and a little bit for myself. And I got really sick of having to deal with restaurant industry employees and paying people out of my pocket to do a less than stellar job. And I kind of got fed up with it. And then I started a uh, couple years ago in 2000, fall of 2018, right before I closed the restaurant, I started a private barbecue catering company uh, locally. So private events, uh, parties, things like that, uh, that I can run pretty much by myself. Uh, it's everything is made to order. It's uh, it's all custom smoke to order and purchase to order. So, uh, that's kind of where we are. Uh, through that, I also do uh, private bourbon tastings or hosted bourbon tastings if uh, people or company or events want to hire me out for that. Uh, I've done that as well. Uh, nice. And it's kind of, you know, it's just developed a palette and I can talk about it at length uh, sometimes. My friends tell me I'm a little too wordy, but uh, that's just kind of where we are currently. Nice, nice. Well, Bourbon barbecue, obviously a great pairing. Yeah, it goes to, it goes well together. Uh, and it seems like your experience in the restaurant world at least gave you an advantage over what we might call non-industry consumers in that you sort of had to work with beverage distributors. You understood a little bit more in depth how the three-tier system worked. And, and so it makes sense why, um, you know, you're able to jump into bourbon and, and develop not only a palate because you work in the flavor arena, but also um, to sort of, 
you know, uh, speak about it, not only from a, a consumer standpoint, but also as somebody who can zoom out and see the big picture. And, and I think some of that is what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, so why don't you just let our listeners in on the project that you're currently working on, this four-part series for Bourbon and Banter, and uh, introduce us to, I guess, the central thesis, which is pretty simple. Yeah, um, basically, uh, I've got a four-part series going for Bourbon and Banter uh, that is titled, Is Bourbon Broken? And it's something that's been on my mind, or it's kind of been a, a theme that I've heard recently more than I had cared to. Uh, and I kind of def- decided to kind of get into it once. There was one specific event that happened locally that, I, that we can get into a little bit. I talk about it in actually part three of the article. And the third one just went up today. So the fourth one will be out probably this week, I would imagine. And it's generated a you know a fair amount of shares and, and traction online and, and, a, and a healthy amount of dialogue as well between people that... Uh, agree and there's people that don't agree and basically i kind of break it down into a few parts uh and it's the retail side uh the 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 consumer side uh which actually is kind of two different parts of of that as well as the secondary market and then the distribution side Uh, and the distribution side i go into a little bit like we talked about the three-tiered system the reality is that as a consumer there's there's not a whole lot we can do about that at this point. Uh, there's so much money and so much polit- so many politics involved and people involved and companies involved that not only the lobbyists, but it involves grocery stores and it involves C stores and it involves liquor stores. And, you know, and everybody wants their to keep things at least as status quo as possible because that's where people are making the most money. I live in Indiana and until just a couple of years ago, there were no alcohol sales on Sunday. We were, you know, the blue laws are kind of ridiculous. I know every state's got a bunch of weird laws. And it was, uh, you know, the fact that grocery stores couldn't sell liquor at the time prior to a couple of years ago and couldn't sell beer on Sundays because the liquor stores weren't open on Sundays because the liquor stores had the monopoly on that. And then there were lots of stupid arguments like, well, we don't want our employees to have to work an extra day of the week. Well, you know, the reality is that in a free market, like, hey, you know, someone that owns Liquor Store X, like, you don't have to be open on Sunday. Just know that everybody else has the option to be open on Sunday. And they didn't like that. You know, like, well, the grocery stores are open longer than us, or they can sell more than us, or have more buying power than us. And, and the reality is, is, you know, like, in a free market, like, I mean, capitalism's a good thing, like, a rising tide floats all boats. Like, I mean, tough shit, you know, like, I'm sorry. Like, you, like if you want to buy it, you know, I would much rather be able to buy it from 10 different places and me choose where I spend my money for whatever reason, whether it be closer or whether I like the cashier or the owner or they're nice to me rather than the place that, you know, you know, they're a jerk. Right. And that's kind of how it works. And, and there's there's just too much behind that to do anything about the three the three tier system at this point. Uh, so I've kind of I touch on that in the series, but we kind of lean heavily uh, towards a couple other issues, uh, and that being the retailers, the consumers, 
and then the secondary market as well, which is obviously driven by consumers mm-hmm. and sometimes fed by retail. It's kind of a, a vicious cycle type deal. So, yeah. Um, when I had an interview a few months ago with uh, a gentleman who actually published a, a book on uh, a lot of these weird laws, Jarrett Dieterle, uh, one of the things we talked about was the cycles of perverse incentives. Uh, and I, I think that's exactly what you're referring to when sort of the um, the retail side of things can drive the secondary market. Uh, I know that in your first piece, uh, you spoke about uh, an interesting little situation that you found yourself in that I, I think we, we might want to dig into a little bit uh, with, with a particular bourbon, Eagle Rare, which I happen to like. Uh, unlike you, I tend not to enjoy the Buffalo Trace portfolio all that much, but Eagle Rare is a notable exception. That's one of their one of their products that I happen to really enjoy. It's one of the bottles that actually got me into bourbon in the first place. And uh, so can you just describe, you know, kind of what happened to you in that retail situation in part one of this article series? Yeah, absolutely. And one, let me start off, Eric, by saying that I'm not right or wrong. Like, this is just my opinion and it's, they're my observations. Like I'm not telling everybody that, Hey, bourbon is broken. Well, I mean, maybe I am a little bit, but it's my opinion, right? Like this is not a gauntlet that's thrown down and be like, Oh, now it's over. Like you might as well give up. Like everybody is feel free to disagree. We welcome conversation on bourbon and banner. Like it's about the banter. And, you know, I've had these conversations with lots of friends and lots of people sitting around, drinking bourbon and that's kind of one of the coolest things about it so uh to back to your 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 incident that you're referring to uh we recently got a total wine in indianapolis it's the first one that i believe is in the state of indiana it opened up around november and it's not i wouldn't say it's not far away from me but it's also not in necessarily like my regular like traffic pattern orbit whatever so i kind of have to go a little bit out of the way not too far but just enough that it's not always in my traffic pattern. And uh, I happen to be in the area and one morning, you know, like before new running some errands or getting something. And I was like, ah, oh, this pop in total wine. I'd only been there a couple times prior. And, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with total wine. Total wine is a good retailer. They're very big. They're national. They have a lot of buying power. Uh, they have a, a VIP slash rewards program that, it works. Some people are going to like it more than others, you know, but also like if, if you spend $30,000 a year at the liquor store, you should probably be treated better than I do because I don't spend that much money, right? Like even if you spend a hundred or $200 a month, which is a good amount of money at a liquor store, that's pennies compared to what some people spend. And it's just, someone's always going to have a nicer car. Someone's going to always have a nicer house, a fancier watch, whatever it is, right? Their pool's going to be bigger. It's just the way things go. So I go into Eagle Rare, or I'm sorry, I go into Total Wine, and I go to the bourbon aisle and walking by, and I glance over, and there's two bottles of Eagle Rare on the shelf, which, unfortunately anymore, is not the norm. And it used to be, like, not even an issue to walk in, and there'd be be bottles of Eagle Rare on every shelf of every liquor store, and probably most grocery stores that you walk in, it's there, it's good, it's 10 years, it's Buffalo Trace, it's 90 proof, like, it's in my wheelhouse, I really like it, it's it's probably, like, you know, would be considered an everyday drinker for me, if someone said, like, what was one that, like, you know, that you just drink every day if you had it, you, just, you know, 
the price is not exorbitant and uh, if it's readily available. So I was like, oh, cool, Eagle Rare, like, All right, I'll grab a bottle. And immediately I, I walked down the aisle, I got the bottle in my hand, and I'm kind of browsing to see what else they got, you know. And someone else I hear walks right, you know, I, in the meantime, as I'm walking down the aisle, I see a guy in front of me also has a bottle in his hand. I just, you know, and then a guy, two people walk up behind me as I'm just, you know, halfway down the aisle and they go crazy. Oh my God, look, dude, look, look, they got Eagle Rare, they got Eagle Rare. And I was like, what, what, really? Like, it's that deep, right? And, and I don't even, I kind of like, what's going on? This guy's like, oh, they only have one, man. And they kind of, they definitely grab the bottle and they're talking about it. Like, what if they got any more? And they're all excited. And I was like, kind of thinking to myself, like, it's not that deep, it's, it's Eagle Rare. And so the next thing you know, one of the guys, Total Wine, does a good job of, you know, all their employees, like, oh, hey, so you find everything you need, kind of help you. And he's like, dude, you got any more Eagle Rare? And he's like, well, it's, there's a little sign that says limit one per person per day. And he's like, let me check. He's like, it's, it's kind of an odd day. We, we normally only get shipments on days X and Y, but today's, you know, day Z, and we, we happen to get some in. And so the guy comes back with a case of six bottles or what's left, and he's holding the box. I don't know how many were in there. Gives the other guy, uh, the other gentleman that's with the first guy that got the bottle, a bottle, and they're thrilled. Like, oh, we both got one, yeah! Like, I mean, like, I was like, really? Like, oh my God. And the next thing you know, there's like four people huddled around the the employee from, from Total Wine, and he's over, passing up the bottles as fast as he can get them out of the box, and the box is empty, right? He's like, mm -hmm. oh, that, that's all we got. And everybody's like, whoa, we got Eagle Rare! And I'm like, what the hell? So I... I you know, I just kind of go about my business, and I think I bought something else, and and I, I check out and I leave, and I get in the car and I'm like, think about it a little more. I'm like, man, like, am I really that lucky today? Like, it, like, did I hit the lottery today? Like, is this like such a big deal that that people are just going that crazy for it? And and I was like, man, like this sucks. Like, this used to be something that I could, and not like I'm not talking ten years ago. I'm talking like two, three years ago. Like, this wasn't considered allocated by any stretch of the imagination. And you can just walk in and grab a bottle. You, you, grab five bottles if you want. No one's going to say a word, right? It doesn't. It's like buying Jack, right? Like, if there's a bunch of bottles and take them, whatever. And it's it's still reasonably priced, which is wonderful. But it's just that much harder to get to the point now where some of the liquor stores keep it behind the counter. Didn't even put it on the shelf, Right. Like you have to ask for it. Like, come on, that's where we are. Like Eagle, you have to ask for Eagle Rare now. And you know Blanton's. Like you talk about Blanton's, people go absolutely crazy for this stuff. And it used to be my absolute favorite bourbon there is, and it's not anymore. And not because of market situations or secondary market or anything like that. I, the reality is, like I just don't think that the juice they're putting in bottles or the bourbon they're putting in bottles is nearly the quality that it was four, five, ten years ago when I really fell mm -hmm. in love with it. Can you pause really quickly and just explain what allocated means to our listeners who maybe aren't um, as deep into bourbon as, as perhaps you or I are? Sure. Allocated is any bottle uh, that they call it on allocation that, that is limited probably by the distiller, also by the distributor, to the liquor store chains or each individual liquor store, they may get much less of it. It's not like Miller Lite or Budweiser where it's just on the shelf all the time. It is something that is produced in smaller quantities, usually 
usually a little more of a premium item. Uh, but what happens is these liquor stores and the distributors dole them out kind of as treats, you know, incentives to, to buy certain things. Now, for example, <clears throat> the distributors, like in order to get Pappy Van Winkle, they want you to buy, like we talked about, like you mentioned earlier, the, the underbelly, the kind of the, the deep seated side, like you have to buy X number of cases of a product that is much cheaper, that's more volume to get rewarded with a bottle or two bottles or a case of, of Pappy or anything from the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, stuff that's much rarer, much more limited, maybe only comes out once, twice, three times a year. I mean, that's kind of an allocated product. And even though I don't think Eagle Rare is technically an allocated product, I think they just, they ships when they get it, it's not that rare, but what's happened with the demand and the secondary market and, and these retailers capitalizing on it is they, they've made it into an allocated product. So when a store keeps it behind the, behind the counter or in the back and they don't put it out and you have to ask for it. And a lot of times when you ask for it, they tell you no, because you're not a good enough customer. They don't know you. I mean, that that's one of those things that we're talking about here. Anything, you know, like Weller, 12 or Weller Special Reserve even. And I, I think that's the, the biggest joke there is in bourbon that people, go, and it's going to be, it's going to be controversial to people. People go absolutely bananas for Weller Special Reserve, which is Buffalo Trace's weeded recipe. All of the Weller line is their Buffalo Trace's weeded recipe, which is what the Pappy Van Winkle line comes from. Now it's basically the same stuff, but it's from honey barrels. It's aged longer. It's you know, it's it, it it's the special, the cream of the crop of that stuff. But the reality is, in my opinion, that the Weller Special Reserve is nothing more than Buffalo Trace's version of Maker's Mark. That's exactly what I was just gonna say. It is not special. It, now, if you if you're in the state of Texas, it's pretty much available on the shelf at retail all day long in almost every liquor store you go into. But in Indiana or other states, it is not. They keep it behind the counter. And they offer it to you as like some type of incentive, like you just hit the Powerball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, exactly. And, and I, I, I think what we're, I mean, the, this entire conversation cent centers around what we might call a question of value, right? And, and you know, one way to talk about value would be to talk about the market forces, right? We've been touching on some of those. I think we're going to touch on more of them. Another way to think about value might be the squishier, more subjective type of value, right? The type of the type of values uh, that lead you to say that Weller is just kind of Buffalo Trace's maker mark, or the type of value that makes the person behind you in the bourbon aisle super jazzed to see that bottle of Eagle Rare. Uh, you're looking at that bottle of Eagle Rare and you're saying, oh, what what a nice surprise. Uh, I'm going to grab one. And I'm really glad that it the price is not jacked up. And the person behind you gets, like like you said, it's like they won the Powerball. The fact that they got this bottle of what not too many years ago was sort of a commonplace bottle. And so when I think what happens when we look at this subjective type of value is we have to raise the question, what has happened in the intervening time period 
that caused that shift, that caused it from go to to go from what we might call a daily sipper to something that is highly prized. Uh, do you care to comment on maybe what that might be, or what number of any number of reasons might have caused that shift? I, I think it's definitely the, the major thing is social media and the internet. And I don't want to sound like a couple of, when I've talked about this with a couple other people, they're like, okay, old man, like, you know, you're just yelling at the kids to get off your lawn. Like, I'm not that old, you know, I'm 46. Uh, I've been drinking bourbon for 26, 27 years, you know, depending on who you talk to legally and whatnot. Um, it, and, I, and I started out, you know, obviously not drinking the really good stuff. I started out, you know, mixing with Coke and everything else. But uh, I, I, I really think that the that social media and the proliferation of information uh, has contributed to this. And, and in a there's good and bad about it. like because of it, I have hey, I'm able to do this right. Like I wouldn't be talking to anybody. If, you know, on a podcast or on multiple podcasts that I've done, you know, and writing articles and putting them out online and having followers on social media, you know, without it, which is awesome. Like I've developed, you know, I found out and discovered a ton of new information and discovered new bourbons and made new friends and all kinds of stuff because of it. Uh, but at the same time, that information being out there and readily available within a second uh, has definitely contributed to some of the hype and media and, or I'm sorry, the hype and the excitement uh, of all of this that, that has contributed to it. And that's, you know, you can view it twofold. It, it, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. It's also bringing more people into the fold. More people are excited about bourbon. And because of that, over the last 10 or 12 years or even more than that, obviously bourbon has exploded and it's become much more popular. And because of that, all of the distilleries have expanded in tremendous ways. Uh, you know, their gift shops have more offerings. They're, they, you can get more gear. They're, they're laying down more juice. They're building more where more rick houses. They're, they're putting more bourbon in barrels every single day. The distillery capacity is increased by, you know, X number. There's also a lot of new craft distilleries, which, is good and it also can be bad as well. Uh, you know, it, it, someone commented on uh, one of the articles I wrote that they likened it to the cigar boom uh, of the early 90s uh, when cigars became really popular. All of a sudden, there were all these new companies and manufacturers and labels and brands, and and it was a big deal. Uh, and I was, was, you know, participated in some of that as well. And and it lasted a while. Uh, and, and someone said, you know, how long is that going to, you know, that lasted probably somewhere between three and eight years until it really started to die down. And a lot of manufacturers folded and brands got snapped up or just went away. And they said, you know, well, what about this? How long do you think this is going to last? I'm like, I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. Uh, it's probably, it, you know, it may be here to stay. And this may be just where we're at. Uh but also, you know, what's the next hot thing to come out that that everybody that has gotten onto the hype train jumps off and jumps on next, right? Like, and how, you know, the other issue is like, how many people are in it because they really enjoy bourbon, or they're just hunting it and collecting it because it's cool 
and they can show off to their friends online, take pictures or crotch shots in the parking lot with their bottle they just bought. And, and then, you know, move on to the next thing or make a few bucks or make a bunch of money flipping bottles. And, uh, or is it something that is going to stay? Like, I, I don't know. Uh, the only, only time will tell on that. I, I, you know, I, if I could see the future, I'd have a lot more money. Uh, <laughs> that's true. But, um, you know, it, one of the good things is, like I said, like all, all these distilleries have been upping capacity for years and years now. Uh, and what I'm looking forward to is hopefully when all of that bourbon matures and now starts to get bottled and put on the shelves, is that going to make a difference? Or is there just that much more demand now that it, it's still going to stay the same? Like, you know, it's been close to 10 years since, since Buffalo Trace has been laying down a whole bunch of more stuff and putting it in warehouses. Uh, you know, what's that going to look like? Does that mean that all of a sudden there's going to be a, a big boon of Buffalo Trace, no, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, Buffalo Trace products are like Blanton's and, and Eagle Rare and Elmer T and, and Rock Hill and Hancock. Like, is there going to be a lot more of that on the shelves? And then also, like, does that mean there's going to be more BTAC or more 10-year Pappy Van Winkle or 12-year Lot B that gets released annually because they're laying down so much more stuff? No. No one really has the answer to that yet. I'm looking forward to see what happens. I hope things come back down before, you know, but right now some stuff's going nuts and people are paying a lot of money on the secondary market, like well over retail uh, for stuff that, you know, what I say is not worth it. That's just my personal opinion. Some people have a lot more disposable income. I, 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 for one, there's just so much good stuff out there that I refuse to pay over retail for pretty much anything. Fair, uh, fair. There's just there's too much other stuff out there. I'm not going to pay a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars for a bottle of Blanton's when it's a fifty-four, sixty-dollar bottle, depending on where you are. Sure. Uh, I'd rather have spend a hundred and fifty dollars on, you know, a larger quantity of stuff that I know I'm going to drink. So, right. and the other thing is like. I don't really have shelf queens. Like I don't buy bottles as an investment. Uh, I don't buy bottles to look at and necessarily to show off to friends. Like we buy, I buy them to drink them and I drink them with friends and I enjoy it. Uh, it's a, it's a social thing. Uh, there's, I I really don't drink much by myself. Uh, I'll have a glass every once in a while here or there. But if my kids are around, I don't really count that as drinking by myself anyways. (laughs) So, uh, uh, so much good stuff there. I, I, I think it's important that you mentioned volume and how these distilleries perhaps haven't even begun to release some of the juice that they laid down when bourbon started really picking up steam. And so I think that is still very much an open question because I think what people tend to forget about is how long it takes to make some of these really nice bourbons that we so so enjoy to drink. Um, so that's that's important, and that's something that I really want people to pay attention to because with our short attention span, just because we're antsy doesn't mean that the bourbon's going to age quicker. Uh, we're that's a constant, despite our shifting agendas and priorities as consumers. Uh, and so the bourbon industry can only really operate at a very set time lag 
and we just have to sort of wait with that. Like I said, it's a constant. We just sort of have to wait and see what happens there. So uh, like you, I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, to your point on social media, that was something I wanted to bring up. Uh, I haven't read your third article, which you said dropped today. Uh, so I don't know if you really address social media all that much in, in that one. But, you know, one of the things that has been a fairly well-studied phenomenon in social media is the comparison effect in that we only, you know, if, if we're posting photos on our social media, you're not going to post a photo of yourself looking like garbage. You're going to, you're going to put, you know, you're going to make sure the light's good. You're going to make sure you get your best side. And so with that, looks like is this echo chamber of people being perfect. They're only, they're selectively posting these perfect things to social media and that can cause, you know, all sorts of weird things to go on psychologically. Now you did say in one of your articles that you do prefer um, Instagram as your, you know, preferred medium because it's simple. Take a picture of bourbon, you're, you're scrolling, you see a, a nice picture of a nice bourbon, give it a little heart and then move on, right? It's simple. And uh, it's it's sort of clean. It doesn't doesn't really muddy the waters like maybe a uh, a forum like Reddit or something like that. Uh, and I think I don't think that what's happening in bourbon is necessarily that comparison effect where you know teenage girls are are becoming depressed because they're seeing all these you know chopped and modeled pictures. That you can't do that to a bottle of bourbon. A bottle of bourbon is a bottle of bourbon. But people aren't gonna post shots of Jim Beam they're going to post shots of their wellers or things that they perceive to be uh, of value. And so I think what's happening there is, is that is the little echo chamber that is causing these certain bottles to be what I would call fetishized. Um, do you think that's fair? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't say that I've never done that. Uh, that I've posted it like, hey, look what I got or look what I lucked into or like, you know, ship came in like I got this. But I will tell you that I'm pretty sure that every single bottle that I've ever taken a picture of, uh, if it wasn't open, it is now open or it is gone. Uh, because, you know, I, I, mean, I can think back, you know, like eight years ago, 10 years ago, like came across a bottle of Pappy 23 at retail, bought it, took a picture of it. I for sure did that. Um, and if you scroll back, I'm sure that's on there somewhere. Uh, so I can't say that I'm not guilty of it, but recently, like that's, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it's not me because I, before looking at it, be like, see, you're a liar. I don't want to do that. But at the same time, like there is a bit of, uh, I wouldn't say fear of missing out or, or jealousy or like you can topping one another. Like no one takes a picture of their bar on Instagram in poor condition they line their bottles up they get the good light like they want to flex they want to show off and which is good you know what like you spent your money you know it's yours you're proud of your collection like that's good i'm, I'm not taking that away from you or, or any of your thunder but if none of those bottles are open and you don't plan on opening any of those bottles and it's just a showpiece for everybody online or on facebook or your friends or your neighbors like then you're part of the problem like drink those things yeah. You know, and if you're doing it for an investment, fine. Like, you know, like people, you know, somebody got mad at me because in one of the articles, you know, I started criticizing the secondary market or, or saying that it was part of the reason why bourbon is broken. It's led to that is, you know, the guy got mad. He's like, so what if I want to spend my money on that? Who are you to tell me, you know, people collect guns and cars and 
bottles of wine that they don't open. And you're absolutely, the guy's absolutely right. Like, I'm not telling you you shouldn't or you can't. I'm just saying that is part of, you know, what has led to the problem that where we are now. Like, you are contributing to that. Like, I'm not telling you're wrong. I'm not telling you can't do it, where to spend your money. But, you know, like you said, like, no one's taking a bad picture, you know, like, they're making it look good, right? Like, putting the filter on it and, you know, like, and it's a thing, and I get it. But, again, there seems to be, when you talk about, when you mentioned the Instagram thing, like, it's less of a forum for arguing as much as there is on Facebook. Now, you mentioned Reddit. I don't touch Reddit. Like, I just, I, I, I can't even go there, right? Like, it's just kind of, it's kind of like, the comments on YouTube, right? Or oh, yeah. like the com- yeah. the comments on the local newspaper's website. Like if you want to get to the, the lowest of the low and the bottom of the bottom, like Reddit is definitely above those, but not too far. No. And I'm not criticizing anybody that's on Reddit. I'm just saying like, I, I'm just not going there. I, I just I can't. I don't have time for, you know, to mess with that. You, you know what I did actually is as a way to keep myself honest is I actually put my I use my the same the same handle as I do on Instagram at Quixologist and uh, I put my picture on the on the Reddit profile so it's like no you know what I'm I know that this is an anonymous forum but I'm gonna I'm gonna take that uh, temptation away from myself and uh, just be straight up and uh, so if I say something uh, it's no longer anonymous so that's kind yeah, of yeah no I, I agree with I, that like I don't you know I'm definitely not a, a keyboard tough guy and hide behind my you know internet handle or or anything like that like you know it's it's my opinion i'm allowed to have it and you're allowed to disagree and you know have an open dialogue and and go on Mm. uh but yes instagram is kind of one of the ones that i prefer just because like facebook has gotten so political so siloed in what you view what you can see and what you view like there's so many algorithms and there's so much money behind it that like you know i've got i don't even know how many friends i have on facebook i I don't really like to use it very much i've been forced to use it the last week or two uh with the blog and and posting stuff to facebook and and responding to comments just to help clicks in the blog and everything but I I know I have hundreds of friends on Facebook and I see a very small portion of any of those people, like, you know, five or 10%, I would imagine. Like I can't, I don't even know like some of the people that I've, you know, and I know they're probably posting, but I don't go chasing it down either. It's just the algorithm and and everything else that Facebook does keeps you in such a, a narrow field of what you see and what other people see that, you know, how much of that stuff's actually getting out there. Mm. And then on top of that, it's, you know, like I said, Facebook has been so highly politicized, you know, especially after the last presidency and the election, you know, people get so heated and I I just, I don't want to get involved in that. You know, they just can't. So, yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up, and and I'm a strangely visual person when it comes to thinking about abstract things like patterns. And I know patterns, you know, if you map it out on a graph, maybe it's very visual, and maybe that's why I tend to think visually. But we're talking about this set of perverse incentives in the bourbon world, where you know one thing will reinforce another thing, and it kind of loops back and creates this this self perpetuating trend. And now we're talking about, like, for example, the politics of Facebook, of how, like, you know, it's very binary, very black and white, very red versus blue. And uh, one of the things that makes me 
think about is like, are, are we in a, a thought trench when it comes to bourbon? Are, are, are we, do we have blinders on to maybe something that we might be missing out on? And I, I suspect that we do because I have a controversial view uh, that, that I, I want to throw out and, and see, see what you think of it. I'm certainly, and I'm certainly not asking you to agree with this, but my controversial view in this discussion might look something like, I think bourbon is just fine as a commodity. Uh, I think bourbon, in fact, is a better commodity spirit than it is a luxury spirit. And I think one of the things that people are doing right now is that that we're we're trying to like push it into this you know luxury category such that a bottle of eagle rare which was a commodity just a few years ago is suddenly something that people are celebrating like this trophy um i think bourbon is great but i think it's so accessible in terms of the 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 very desserty flavor profiles that it tends to have that it can do better as a commodity spirit than most spirits on the globe. And so I guess I'm I'm a little confused by the impulse to try and make it seem more expensive or more luxurious than it is when there were fine daily sippers uh, that weren't luxury. So I don't I don't know if that makes any sense to you. Uh, it, it does. I, I think a, a couple things on that. I think there are still plenty of daily sippers that are fine and that you could view as commodities that are just always going to be there. Uh, as far as luxury items, um, there are people forcing it that way because uh, there are so many people in the secondary now or in the bourbon game that are, are fans of bourbon, however you want to refer to it, that are treating it like stock. They're treating it like stocks, like for the stock market, you know, like, hey, I can get this for X and I'm going to sell it for Y and make a bunch of money and then do it again and keep going. And that's what a lot of people are doing. And there's people that spend their days driving around to different liquor stores, buying up all they can and coming back home, getting on Facebook, taking pictures, selling it for more than they bought it for and doing it all over again. And that, and you know, help. They did that with Beanie Babies years ago, right? Like that didn't, it lasted for a while, but like how long is that sustainable? I don't know. Is it like we talked about before? Like, is it sustainable until there's a lot more product on the market or does that just keep fueling it? That I don't know. Um, as far as your, your comment about, you know, pushing it one way or the other or how you view it as a commodity, like people like what they like. Like if that's what you like to drink and that's your favorite spirit, I don't know if you're all of a sudden going to be like, eh, now gin is hot. I'm going to drink only gin. Like if you're used to drinking bourbon, like you're going to keep drinking bourbon. Just like, People aren't going to go from coffee to, you know, oh, now it's not coffee. I'm going to go to kombucha instead, right? Like, you may drink it as well, but, you know, if you're a Diet Coke drinker, you're going to keep drinking Diet Coke. You're not going to all of a sudden switch to Sunkist, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it, it's completely different. Uh, and there, there are definitely products uh, in that commodity sphere that, that are luxury that, that definitely fall into that category just like scotch right like the underage or not as hyperage stuff is a lot cheaper and a lot more readily available because it doesn't take as long to make it doesn't take uh you know the the, the painstaking process to go through it uh 
So I don't disagree necessarily with that statement, uh, but I think there's uh, ways that you can kind of pick that apart and certain parts of it more than others. Yes. And no. Uh, I mean, everything's a commodity, right? Like it just depends, you know, it's a supply and demand thing at this point. And, and I'm not an economics major, but I do know that if more people want it, than it's available. It's going to cost more. Yeah. Uh, that's and, or, or, or you're going to have to work harder to find it. Well, that's absolutely. But now some of that has gone away because of the internet, like we've talked about and social media, like it, there's Facebook groups that, for example, there's like 4,400 or some people in my local, in the local bourbon Facebook group. Right. And it's enough. And I know guys that one guy just told me the other day, he's like, I sit at work at home and I work from my home office and I've got two screens that I work from at home. He goes, and I have a laptop open with that page open from the local bourbon group. And it refreshes every couple of minutes. And when someone posts a picture, hey, I got this bottle here, and they're, you know, showing off that they got it in the parking lot, he's like, he says, he's like, I get in the car and I go buy it, right? And he drinks it, which is great, and he shares it, which is awesome too. But that is kind of part of this issue, right? Like when the local grocery store got a store pick of Old Forester. <clears throat> they put out 156 bottles, I think, or something like that. It was gone in less than three hours uh, because somebody posted online in the local in the local Facebook page, and everybody ran there at lunchtime or whatever and bought as much as they could, and it was gone. Three hours. Mm. Well, it seems like social media is, is almost mirroring like how the brain works, which is, I mean, a good thing for the social media companies and and perhaps a good or a bad thing for us but you know just like just like the brain has spreading patterns of activation i mean look, what what you just described was a spreading pattern of activ- uh, activation you know your friend is one neuron and then somebody posting on the facebook group is another neuron suddenly one neuron zaps the other neuron and the other neuron you know so all, all of a sudden you have this uh you know it's it's almost it, it it's a di- literally a digital version of the feeding frenzy that you described at the total one well it's Um, a bit of an addiction right like it's just like gambling or you know that instant gratification and like some people some people like the hunt and successfully finding that like bottle that that coveted bottle more than drinking the stuff And, and that's cool too right like it's very similar to like how you maybe used to open like at least me like baseball card packs or football or basketball card packs when you were little right like You'd go buy a couple packs, you'd save your money and get a couple packs, and you're looking for whatever that that Ken Griffey rookie or, or whatever it was, right? Like, oh, I got it. Like, whatever that grail is, right? Mm-hmm. And then then what do you do with that baseball card, right? You're not putting that one in the spokes of your bicycle. Like, you're getting a piece of Lucite and, you know, putting it in there or, you know, a card protector. You're savoring it and you put it on your, on your shelf or whatever. You look at it and you're proud that you, you scored it, right? Well, it's the same thing with bourbon. It's just whether you drink that bottle and enjoy it with friends or whether you put it on the shelf and look at it and put it on Facebook and Instagram and, and show off uh, and say, Hey, look at me, or you turn around and sell it for a profit. Like it's, you know, you kind of fall in one of those categories and, it, and none of them are wrong. Like you're not bad for doing any of those things again, but a couple of those things definitely contribute to why it's harder to get, what you want and what used to be a daily drinker. And 
again, like I'm not clamoring for the days where, you know, you could buy Pappy on the shelf whenever you wanted, you know? Uh, and I, and I actually like, there was a time where I found bottles of old rip 10 on the shelf and bought two bottles of it and drank one of them in a weekend and brought the other one home. Uh, and it was the old squat bottles and, and it was awesome. That happened once, right? Like, it was literally on the shelf in the aisle. I didn't have to ask for it. Didn't have to hunt for it. It was stumbled upon it. Mm-hmm. But those days are those days are long gone. Uh, you know, so I, I kind of focus in other areas rather than those ultra ultra premium or coveted bottles. Uh, you know, I, again, like I enjoy drinking it and I like to share it with friends. So anything unique or fun or cool or stuff that I can find is what I kind of go after now. I, I like what you're saying about um, you know how there are different types of people, and, and some people are the people who get that rush of of finding something that's we might just call it generically rare, something rare, whether it's rare because of price or because of scarcity. Uh, I am not that kind of person. Uh, in fact, I hate going shopping for pretty much anything. Like my reward is not getting like, I'm not going to be the kind of person who goes to the car dealership and is like, all right, time to bargain and get this, you know, get this salesperson down a couple hundred dollars. I'm like, will a couple hundred dollars get me home faster? Because that to me is my reward. So, so I guess my brain doesn't operate on that, on that same chemical level uh, of people who are you know, uh, of the person that you mentioned who's uh, just going to jump right out and literally race to the liquor store after seeing a post on Facebook. Uh, and I think one of the things I was trying to get at in in the my sort of little commodity rant earlier was I, I think that we may be mistakenly associating um, good with, with rare or expensive or quality with rare or expensive when... I think sometimes good can just be simple, right? Good can be commonplace or simple. And I think that's what you were thinking with your, you know, with your Eagle Red thing. You're like, oh, here's something that at least at a certain point was commonplace and, and it was good. It wasn't expensive, but it was good for what it was. There was something simple about being able to once again walk up to that shelf and pick up that $25 bottle of Eagle Rare. And and so I think that is something that I would say might be healthy for people to think about. Uh, I, I, again, I, I don't think that we're ever going to return to days of yore where things were, were not uh, as prized as they are today. But, uh, but I think just pondering, is there a way I can drink something simple and still enjoy it? Uh, might be just something worth asking. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, what you, consider good what I consider good and what someone else considers good is all completely subjective to your palate, right? Like, what do you enjoy? Like you said, you don't normally care for a lot of the Buffalo trace stuff. Uh, I like a lot of the Buffalo trace stuff. Um, I don't care as much for some of the old forester stuff, right? Some people love that stuff. There's a few other products that I really enjoy. And there's a lot of the other stuff that it's not stuff that I would, ever really reach for. Um, but again, you know, it's, it's up to your own individual taste. And that's, what's so cool about bourbon, uh, is that there's so many options out there is you can find one that you like, uh, in, if you try enough and you're not just out there trying to figure out what the popular one is that 
the internet group says or what, you know, what your Facebook group says or what you hear from someone in an article, try new things. Like, and that's part of the whole, like our hashtag for bourbon and banners, drink curious, like try what you try different things, find out what you like. One of the cool things about uh, the bourbon and banner blog is that there's, I think there's 12 or 15 of us that, that all write and we, everybody does different reviews. One of the cool things that people ask about, they're like, well, you know, how, if you like it, like, should I go buy it? Like, not necessarily. Like, what I encourage people to do is to go through and read some of the different reviews from all of the different writers. And some of our articles have multiple reviews, or some of our, you know, bottles have multiple reviews. So you can kind of compare the tasting notes between me and someone else and maybe even a third person. And if you know that you have that bottle on your shelf where you've had that, whatever it is, and let's say you like it, and one of the reviewer likes it, and two of the other ones don't like it, then maybe you should focus, or, or opposite actually, you know, either way, you should focus on some of the other articles they've written, or the other reviews they've written, and kind of see if there's something in there that, if you agree with more of them, or if you don't, and if you agree with a, a lot of them, like, go find something that, that one of us reviewed, and try that you haven't had and go try that and see if that lines up with your palate and your taste. And that's what leads you to discover more, uh, more brands, different, different bottles, different, you know, different product lines. And the same thing, like if you know that you don't like something and someone else loves it, you know, that may be a reviewer that like your palate and your taste don't line up exactly the same way. Uh, you know, that's kind of one of the things that we, we try to encourage people is just, you know, try different things. Find out what you like and what you don't. There's no wrong answer. Just because your favorite drink or the favorite thing you like to sip on is a $20 bottle doesn't mean that you have a bad palate. And it doesn't mean that just because your friend that only drinks Blanton barrel picks that he only buys exclusively online from private groups and spends 15 times more a month than you do on bourbon doesn't mean his palate's better or uh, that you're wrong. Like it's just, everybody's got different tastes and, and, and that's good. That's one of the reasons there are so many different products out there and available. Right. Right. And I think any anything you can do to, discourage monoculture, whether that's a mono literal monoculture or a, a monoculture of thought or opinion, I, I think is, I think is important. So drinking curiously is definitely something, uh, that I agree is, is, is super important. Uh, and I think drinking curiously and, and maybe finding value in, in the commonplace might be a couple things that, that drinkers could do to maybe, combat this this sense that um you know we're living in an internet echo chamber that's filled with pabby weller and and the like this episode is brought to you by near country provisions if you're like me here are some things you might be like you live in the mid-atlantic you enjoy meat you highly prefer that your meat is local sustainable and comes from ethically raised animals and you'd absolutely love for someone to deliver it to your door once a month. If this sounds like you, then you need Near Country Provisions in your life. Head over to nearcountry.com and check out their different, highly customizable meat delivery packages, and also browse their growing seafood selection. 
As a thank you for being a Modern Bar Cart listener, you can get two free pounds of ground beef or bacon included in your first order after subscribing if you enter the code BARCART, all one word, at checkout. That's BARCART, B-A-R-C-A-R-T, at checkout. Near Country Provisions is the real deal, and I can honestly say that I'd recommend them even if they weren't a sponsor. The meat and the local farmers they work with are just that good. Now, back to the show. So I want to just give people a sense. Of course, we're going to be linking to the three articles that you've published so far. And then when the fourth article goes up on Bourbon Banter, we'll get all of those on the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. But can you just for me and the listeners um, talk about articles number three and four, just give us a quick rundown of what those are going to cover so we know what we're in for? Uh, three goes over the retailers, uh, and it covers an, an incident that kind of was the main reason for, for writing this article. Uh, the, the, the incident about finding the Eagle rare kind of kicked it over the edge. Uh, but the main reason that this happened, like there was something that happened recently with a retailer locally. And, and I go into it, uh, in the article, uh, as well as it, it covers, kind of the the main group of different liquor stores here locally in the Indianapolis market. Uh, there's a handful of them that are kind of the big players, and I kind of highlight the differences and what some of the issues are as far as how they treat their customers, whether there's a VIP program, whether they overcharge, whether they – I mean, there's one liquor store that pretty much blatantly, if you get the right person talking, admits that – they don't put any of the allocated stuff out. They take all the stuff that everybody really wants. Don't put it on the shelf. They put it upstairs and they sell it all online at secondary pricing. And, you know, it's, I guess it's their right. Like, you know, it's their product. They're in business to make money. Uh, but that's not, in my opinion, the way you gain customers or, or treat your best customers as well. Like I don't spend money there. So it's, you know, it's one of the reasons why I don't spend money there. They, not only do they kind of overprice things, and they basically blatantly just don't put that stuff out there. And it's one thing to save it for your really good customers, like we talked about before. Like if you're spending a lot of money every month or annually and have developed relationships, which, you know, is the key to any liquor store, I think, is developing a relationship. But if, you know, I've got a buddy that spends a whole lot more money than I do, and he drinks a lot of wine. I don't drink any wine. And he spends a lot more money than I do. And... We drink together, you know, probably at least, you know, once a week, if not more than that. And, you know, he ended up with a bottle of Happy 15 at retail, uh, which is awesome that, that, that these, that some of these liquor stores are selling those bottles at retail and saving them for their VIP or, or their best customers. They, they deserve it. Like, that's kind of what it is. You know, there, there's a few different ways to do that, whether it's a VIP program or whether it's at the discretion of, uh, individual store managers that treat their, you know, local regular customers, or if you do a basically an online, not an online or, or a lottery, basically, uh, you know, all of those things are pretty fair. And I have no problem with a store basically selling or giving away raffle or lottery tickets. How, you know, there's different ways to do it for every bottle you buy 
25, 50, $100 you spend, you get an extra ticket. Like it rewards spending and, and that's a rewards program. That's great. Uh, but when it gets to be a little shadier, that's, that's kind of where, you know, things contribute to the issue of bourbon being broken. Uh, and I go into that a little more in article three, mm-hmm. uh, article four is another kind of a, basically I called it the second consumer problem. Like it's another problem that, that there is with the consumer, uh, from, from a little bit of a different angle. Uh, and some people will not like it because they are those people. And, and I kind of say it like, Hey, like if you're guilty of doing this or doing this, like you're part of the problem, you're not wrong for doing it, but you're part of the reason that, that I think that, we are in the situation where bourbon may be broken. Uh, so some people are going to like it and some people are going to be like, yeah, I completely agree. And some people are going to, you know, want to come for me maybe with pitchforks and torches, <laughs> but, but we'll find out. So that, that kind of wraps it up. You know, the, the, the reality is like, I, I banged this whole thing out and made it one article. Uh, and it was huge. I mean, it was like 3,500 words or something. And, and, Pops, uh, who runs the Bourbon and Banner blog, is like, dude, he's like, this too long. Like, we got to break this up. Like, I'm going to have to chop this up. And, I, you know, it's your show, whatever you want to do. Uh, so, so he decided to, to put it into, break it up into four pieces and a little more manageable or bite sized chunks. Uh, and it has, you know, definitely generated a little bit of buzz. And, and some people are, a lot, a lot, definitely more people have agreed with me. Uh, then, then have disagreed with me, maybe because, uh, some people don't want to publicly put themselves out there and be like, I disagree. I love overspending on the secondary and driving up the prices. Like, you know, I don't know how many people are going to necessarily want to out themselves, uh, and admit to being part of the problem. Like, you know, like I've said, uh, or like I've titled the article or the series, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, no one wants to be called out like that, but some people have definitely disagreed. And, and but I, I've, it's been a, a pretty positive uh, feedback that I've gotten uh, on the whole, uh, which is good. Yeah, that's great. Um, referring to the the fourth article, um, you know, we're talking about this, the second or perhaps the second set of consumer problems. I think a useful question, just in in life, is is to is to ask. Uh, to what degree am I either responsible for or contributing to the circumstances which I claim not to like? You know, um, so right, not everybody is is uh, participating in the the secondary market and flipping bottles for for way more than they uh, should ideally be priced. But um, you know, are 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 you the person who who solely takes the you know, the, the pictures of the pretty bottles. Well, kind of, we all are. So we all are in certain ways contributing. And so I I think at least, at least what your articles have allowed me to do, uh, as somebody who is a bourbon enthusiast, but certainly not to the degree that you are, uh, certainly not as involved with the, the community as you are, it's allowed me to put definite names and definite kind of identities on some of these problems and it has allowed me to consider my relationship to them. And I think that's all that we can really ask of, of a, a series like this one. And uh, so to that extent, I think it's a, it's a great success. And I've really enjoyed reading the first two. And as soon as we hop off, I'm going to I'm gonna read article number three. So thank you so much for, for putting this all together for us. 
Oh, no, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate, you know, uh, the time to chat and as well as the exposure to the article. Uh, you know, more people listening, reading, viewing, looking is always good. Uh, but with that fourth article, it doesn't really focus on the secondary market uh, necessarily. Uh, it, it is that was, I think, more the, the first article. Uh, it's going to it's another issue where the consumer, I think, is contributing to some of these higher prices by willingly paying what the retailers are charging for some stuff that brand new, unproven, young craft product that, that is not very good. You know, it, it, and along those lines, like I'm sure there is a local brand or a local distillery that is selling their craft product or their new make or their young two and a half year old or even their sourced stuff that they bought from someone else and put their label on it and are charging 55, 65, $75 for. And we're encouraging that as a consumer, some people are, by buying it. And there's one thing to support local. It's another thing to just keep buying bad product, right? And the reality is that a lot of this stuff out there isn't very good. A lot of people want to like it because they spent $75 on it. But when you put it next to something that's 20 or $25, a lot of times the stuff from the big guys, you know, that's aged longer, that is cheaper just because it's made in bigger batches or it's slightly less proof, it's still going to taste better. And, it, you know, if you choose it blindly, you know, that's one thing. If you choose it in a blind tasting better than all these other ones, like, cool. And, and I'm, again, I'm all for drinking curious, but... Drinking dumb is when you keep spending $75 on stuff that's no good and, you know, you keep, you know, the cycle going by, you know, spending money on stuff that is overpriced. And, and at what point, I, you know, I also ask the question, at what point do the big guys like, you know, Buffalo Trace or Jim Beam or Old Forester start saying, or Heaven Hill, like, hell, like all these consumers are paying 55 or $60 for stuff. And we have stuff that is a third or half the price that is aged longer, that tastes better, has won more awards. Like, why don't we just triple the price or double the price on it? We don't even have to make any more. We'll double revenue overnight. You know, like, and you've seen it happen with a few brands. Like, Heaven Hill took their six-year bottle and bond product off the market. It was... a bottle. They took it off the market. They brought it back. They rebottled it. They made it a seven-year product. And now they charge $45 for it. And I've had them both side by side. You know, it's a little bit different, but it's not four times the price different or four times the price better, in my opinion. You know, at what point does Buffalo Trace say, however, you know, a lot of these markets, we can't even, you know, people are lining up for hours just because they heard we're going to put Buffalo Trace on the shelf. I know it's a problem in Virginia that's an alcohol, you know, control state. You know, we've got one of our writers that's there. And he's like, do people line up for hours because they're getting Buffalo Trace today? He's like, it's nonsense. So why doesn't Buffalo Trace say, hey, we're going to charge $50 a bottle for Buffalo Trace or 35 or 40 and see if you consumers eat it, Right. Same thing with the Weller Special Reserve. Like, why charge $17 a bottle? We'll charge 30 You know, like, if we're not careful, like, that's what's going to happen. Because, you know, the bean counters, they're, they're in it to make money, right? The, the big distilleries are, are making money. And a lot of them are...
big publicly traded companies, all of them, in fact, except Heaven Hill, uh, you know, when do they say, let's just double the price or raise it 20 bucks a bottle and see what happens, right? We don't even have to make any more. And then when we do make more, they're still going to buy it. You yep. know, like it, 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 it's a, it, it, if, you're, if you're running a company and you're the one that's cashing those checks, it's hard to see the logic against that. Because sure. us as consumers, like we're just snapping it up as fast as people can and contributing to that. So there, that that's kind of a little bit what that that last article gets into and, and you know, stop spending money on bad stuff or you know, spend the money on the good stuff. Yeah, and I, I like that that sort of is the article that rounds out the series because it, it provides a, a sense of exigence. It's like, well, <laughs> we're already seeing this start to happen, like you said, with the Heaven Hill six-year product. Uh, if we're already seeing this start to happen, this means that unless something changes or unless unless we get concerned and maybe think about changing our approach to this, then this is going to continue to happen. And if I, like you, were so deeply invested in the industry and the community, I, I would be as precisely as alarmed as you are and, and want to do something about it. So um, I, I think that's a great way to wrap this up. Um, is there anything that you want to add before we do a couple quick lightning round questions? No, I, I think that, you know, to wrap all this up, the, the best thing that you as a consumer or a bourbon drinker and a fan of bourbon can do is vote with your dollar. Uh, whether it be at your local retailer, um, you know, support the guys that, are nice to you that support you that you have relationships with whether it be a grocery store a, a convenient mart like what a liquor store that's close to you uh, also that works with supporting the brands that you like uh, don't waste your money on the stuff that you're being overcharged for you know young or bad product uh, i'm definitely again i'm all for trying new things uh, but maybe think about going in and splitting a bottle three or four ways with some friends, you know, have a bourbon share night where everybody brings a new bottle that no one's ever had. And everybody throws in some money that, that kind of mitigates the cost of that. And you can find something new that way, but definitely, you know, so voting with your dollar helps with all of this and, and also not spending your money, you know, on the secondary to contribute to this vicious cycle. Like that may be something you want to look at as well. But if you're doing it as an investment, you know, I'm not going to stop you. This isn't going to sway your opinion at all anyways. Or if you're doing it to make money and you're flipping bottles, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably angry and you know, cursing me anyway. <laughs> so you're not going to listen. So For sure. So, yeah. Cool. Vote with your dollar is kind of the, you know. Yeah, we definitely we definitely advocate that. Uh, you know, don't. Uh, I, I love I love that last point. Don't don't. Why, why would you continue to drink drink juice that uh, that you don't like or that that's not as as high quality as the price indicates? So yeah, voting voting with your dollar is actually uh, surprisingly easy to do. Uh, we don't even we don't even realize that we're doing it every time we go to the liquor store. But you literally are. Every time you are in there, you are voting with your dollars. So you should, you should actually think of it like that. Yeah, whether it be the brand or the the local liquor store or the local liquor store chain and you know and it goes back to distributor and the distillery and all that yeah it cascades for sure so jumping in with just a few quick lightning round questions uh this is a cocktail podcast you wouldn't know it we were just talking about straight liquor for for an hour here but uh what's your favorite cocktail and if you don't have a favorite of all time um what's something you're maybe more obsessed with recently you know 
surprisingly, like, I'm not a huge cocktail guy. Normally, like, someone says, like, what's your favorite cocktail? Like, it's bourbon, neat, right? Uh, but there are a few things I, I get into every once in a while. Uh, you know, around derby season in the spring, like, mint julep is, is pretty solid. Uh, I like to make my own. I steep my own mint, uh, so it comes out really strong, and it, it's got a good flavor. Uh, summertime's coming up. Uh, it's Sometimes it's hard to drink that barrel-proof stuff right by the pool, neat. Uh, so I... I I will get down with the Kentucky mule every once in a while and, and and do that right. But also, uh, not necessarily a cocktail, but more of an accompaniment accompaniment with, uh, with tequila or mezcal is sangrita. Like a a really good sangrita is fantastic to kind of cleanse the palate with tequila. I'm a big tequila fan as well. Not as big as bourbon, but it's kind of my second favorite spirit. Uh, if you could find someone that, that, makes a good sangrita or if you've got a recipe yeah you know you got to make your own because it's not really too available commercially because it's such it's so good fresh uh but if you're not familiar with it definitely look it up not sangria not the the brandy spiked wine with a bunch of fruit in it uh we're talking similar to a a bloody mary ish but uh use it to uh it's alcohol free but use it to chase uh, or cleanse your palate with uh with tequila with good sipping tequila yeah, well, sure we'll have to put a, a recipe on the show notes for folks uh, because yeah, I was I was gonna clarify that this is not this is not the sweet wine for sure. Um, yeah, no, no, no. And if you've got a good sangrita recipe and you you know, I'd love to see it because I'm always on the lookout to try some new ones because it's it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Next question: uh, Is there any product or trend in the spirits or? cocktail world that, that you think is underrated right now and this could be in the bourbon world or or it can be some some other segment i think mezcal uh is kind of an unsung uh standout i think there's a lot of cool stuff that's being done with some of the craft mezcals that are around uh, but it really takes you you know you gotta like tequila because it's got a bit of a tequila flavor but it's a little smokier uh you know, it's got a little more mineral flavor to it. I, I like mezcal a lot. Um, I think that's kind of one of them. Also, uh, back to trend. Uh, I don't know if it's underrated. That's for sure. Is uh, private barrel picks in, in, in bourbon, or pretty much any spirits, is something that really you can find some unique gems. Uh, and I kind of focus that uh, my spending or, or my, you know, what I try to find or, or private picks of, of bourbon barrels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you could find some gems or some special ones or stuff that at least is slightly unique and just not the typical off the shelf stuff. Yeah. It's an, I mean, inherently unique <laughs> for sure, because you know, you're not getting you're, the blend, the blending aspect of it is, is sort of out the window. And so you really, yeah, you, you really get something that can stand out from, from the normal portfolio of a company. So those are great answers. Uh, Widowmaker question. If you could have a drink with anybody, past or present, who would it be? Where would you go? What would you drink? Just kind of paint us a picture. Uh, you know, it'd probably be my grandfather. Uh, he passed away, was killed in a car accident when I was like seven. Uh, so I never really got to know him as an adult or have real adult, you know, conversations, family history and philosophies and things like that. Like it for sure would be outside, uh, nice weather, not too hot. Enjoying a cigar. Uh, I knew he was a, an avid cigar smoker as well. I'd be having a bourbon and I'd make him whatever he wanted and just kind of find out everything I missed and, and didn't, you know, wasn't able to know. I, you know, I hear stories and, uh, 
and it may not be the sexiest answer about, you know, someone famous or anything like that, but just something that I've, uh, that I, that's probably where I would go first. Uh, mm-hmm. my grandfather outside having a cigar, nice weather, just enjoying the company and, and getting to know things that, you know, learning some stuff that I never knew. Mm. Bourbon, bourbon is definitely one of these spirits that sort of evokes the sense of family. You know, so many of them are, are, are named after, you know, old families in, in the bourbon world. So, uh, you know, it seems to be, it seems to be a value that's, that's pretty universally shared, uh, among bourbon lovers. So, um, Brent, I, this has been really, really educational for me. I've, I've had a blast having you on. Uh, before we sign off here, can you just let people know uh, how to connect with you in the digital space as well as the best way to engage with Bourbon & Banter? Sure. Uh, you can go to the Bourbon & Banter website, bourbonbanter.com. Uh, you can reach out directly through me there. Uh, all the social media links are also on there. Uh, but uh, Twitter is bjhawk. The number four KU, so B-J-H-A-W-K, number four KU, and Instagram is just B-J-Hawk, B-J-H-A-W-K. Uh, I'm on Facebook, Brent Joseph, and that's pretty much, I think that's all. Is that the major ones, right? Yeah, like, yep, and of course, we will link to the articles over on the show notes page at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. So once again, Brent, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Eric, thanks so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Barkhart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarkhart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Barcart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and sound design by Samantha Reed, Bourbon Insights, and Market Analysis by Brent Joseph, and a little bit of interview magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2021.